right. So, part of Wellspring is to um, keep these disciplines before us every week. And so let's talk about why, um, why we're here, what the Wellspring purpose is, and um, take a look at that. We are here to equip one another. We're here to equip one another. We're here to encourage one another. We're here to encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to shepherd our hearts, to shepherd our inner man, to shepherd who we are. All of us, uh, every part of who we are in the inner man, to lead our hearts, to draw near with our hearts toward Jesus. We're here to draw our hearts toward Jesus, toward our Savior, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Rescuer, with the Word of God. We do that with the Word of God. His inspired Word is a precious gift. And remember Hebrews 4.12? What his living word is doing in us. His word is living. It's active. You guys could say it with me. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing as far as division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. And what is it able to do? It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of what? Our inner man, our heart. Our hearts. Why? Let's look back at our wellspring purpose. Shepherding our hearts with the word of God. Why? So that we live gospel-transformed lives. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to live gospel-transformed lives, um, to live holy lives, pleasing to him lives, um, transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ lives. And then what does it do? Look back. What does it do? Just strengthening the church and its gospel purpose. It strengthens the church, his body, as we do this. And so it's really a big deal. These words have been thought through. The purpose has been uh, thought through. It's important that we that we understand it, that, that these are just not words of what we kind of came up with. As I looked at this this week, I was just so impacted by by just these words. Like, this is a really, really big, impactful kind of thing that Wellspring is producing in his body. He's not, not Wellspring, but what he's doing in this ministry. We focus on three disciplines here at Wellspring. They're, they're biblical principles to help us think and to help us grow in light of this very important purpose. And we always begin with our hearts, our inner man. And remember, believers' hearts are in a mixed condition. We're not who we once were. We were dead. We were lost. We couldn't even shepherd our hearts. We didn't want to draw near to God. And remember, we're not who we once or who we will be, right, in heaven. But our hearts right now are in this mixed condition. And so they need cared for. And they need attention. And they need to be um, shepherded with the word of God. The first discipline we talk about, discipline one, is that she prayerfully, prayerfully shepherds her heart toward God through the word of God, and in particular, the gospel. And um, Wellspring's primary assignment 
is to read through the Bible in a year. Remember, the reading plan um, is not, it's just a tool. It's, the reading plan is a tool to, to be disciplined in meeting with God and his word, to cultivate that discipline in us to do so. It's not to check off you know, that box, but it's to, to cultivate that desire to draw near to him, to care for our hearts with his precious, inspired, living, active word. And we desperately need to come to his word um, to meet with him, to see him, to see him. I love this analogy. I know you've probably all heard of it, but think of a window. Do you look at the window to see the glass? No, you don't look at the window to see the glass. That's not what the window is designed for, right? The window is designed to see what's on the other side, to look through the window, to see what's on the other side. We don't stop at the glass. So when we go to God's Word, we go to see Him. We look through and we we go to see God, the God of the Word, to meet and draw and and, uh, see our Savior. And it's our responsibility and it's our privilege, it's our privilege to feed our new hearts with His Word, to be strengthened with the realities of what He's done, what He's doing, the gospel realities, who He is, what Christ has done, what He wants to do in us, um, all of His promises. It all strengthens our weak hearts as we meet with Him, as we commune with Him and His Word. And we're here to encourage one another to be diligent to do that and persevere. So we go to his word to draw near to him and he says it's good to do so, that it's an act of worship. So how is that going? How's it, how's it going? You know, I want to ask you a question just to think about. Do you make it a plan to do that? Is it an afterthought at the end of the day? Um, make it your plan. I know, I know it can be really hard to get up a little bit earlier, to set aside time, busy moms, different seasons. I totally get all of that. But make a plan. Are you planning? And then, you know, you trust God with plans and interruptions and all of that. But, you know, if I have an appointment with a doctor, I pretty much arrange a way to keep that appointment, right? Or whatever it is. Unless something, you know, critical comes up. Make it an appointment to meet with your Savior. Start today. And then, throughout the day, we continue to shepherd our hearts. We continue to guard our hearts. We think and we can meditate on what we know to be true. That's shepherding your heart, too. It doesn't stop when we close our Bibles. Right? Then whenever, whatever God sets in our lives, whatever circumstances, our hearts will have been near Him. We'll have been near our Savior. And, and we'll be more equipped and strengthened to continue to shepherd our hearts with what He's taught us. As we live gospel-transformed lives. And Discipline 2 is about the ministry we have right in our homes. She ministers to those in her household with her heart for God and the gospel. Our home is really like where the rubber meets the road, right? Our household relationships can be hard, can be humbling and sanctifying, and that's good. So as we respond to life circumstances, are we 
girding our minds for action throughout our day by remembering the gospel implication and its implications and its power. So what overflows is Christ-likeness. And you know, it requires dealing with, um, and Anne talked about that, and forgiveness. It, de- it, it deals with, uh, it requires dealing with our own logs first, many times. I have to start in uh, Matthew 7 very often and asking the Lord, you know, help me see this big, huge honking log that I have sticking out of my own eye. Asking him for help, confessing sin, um, humbly seeking forgiveness, repenting. It involves reminding one another, others in your household and who enter in, calling one another to repentance, walking in God's grace. It's, and it's, it's always just so sobering the thought that we have an impact there in our homes um, and with the people we live with and those who enter in, those we spend the most time with. But we're here to equip, we're here to equip one another and encourage one another to have a gospel impact there. So please be encouraged that this too is a process, lifelong process that God gives you and he gives, and he gives you the grace to do what he's called you to do. But again, it doesn't just happen because you want it to happen. It takes discipline. It does. It just takes discipline. It takes being purposeful with our these hearts that are prone to wander and they're in the mixed conditions. We have to, we have to, we have to care. We have to be concerned. We have to be diligent. We have the privilege to impact those we live with and those that come in uh, into our homes with the most amazing truth of the love of Christ. It's a privilege. Discipline three is about getting involved in one another's lives. With a heart for God and the gospel and fulfilling her ministry within her household, that's discipline one and two, she steps into the church to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. It's a privilege to serve and remind one another of, and help one another with the very same thing we know to be true about our own hearts, about ourselves. You know, and when we think in light of what we deserve, it's a privilege to serve. I don't deserve to serve, but he has put me in a body to serve. When I think about it that way, oh my goodness, I want to serve more and more. It's a privilege. And as we remind others that we're ministering to the same truth that they need to shepherd their own hearts first, to live gospel-transformed lives, which strengthens the church and its gospel purpose, it's a privilege. And we never graduate ourselves from this. No one does. We are constantly going back to caring for our own hearts, not leapfrogging over our homes to do any kind of ministry, but caring for those in our household with the gospel and again remember these are just lifelong disciplines to pursue and grow in as we minister and encourage one another and then finally remember our theme verse for Wellspring above all else above all else guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life Proverbs 4.23 all of these disciplines always go back to our heart or what we do with our hearts consistently. 
So um, I just want to encourage, may we encourage one another, spur one another on as we see what's at stake in our own hearts and and the relationships in our homes and those that enter in and in a ministry, in our ministries. And it impacts the strength of the body. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a morning like this that we can be reminded of who you've created us to be and the grace that you've given us to do and be and live for your glory. Oh, Father, I just um, I thank you for that. I thank you for your precious word that is living and active and having its way in our hearts. And Lord, um, I just ask that we would that we would be women who um, grow in knowing you and following hard after you. We bless our time as we talk about what you are doing in our lives, and may you be glorified. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, please pray with me, dear Heavenly Father. We thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, that we can come before you, that we can freely come to a building, and we can meet, and we can talk about you, and Lord, we can lift your name high. We are so grateful for that. Lord, now as we open open your word and look to see what you say about women, that we would learn from your word that we would not just be hearers of your word, but we would do what it says. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, one more piece of housekeeping, because if I don't tell you right this second, I know I'll forget. Your discussion group leader will be emailing you um, this that says, Implications of God's design for us to bear his image in singleness and marriage. It goes with the last question on your homework. And I messed that up and didn't get it printed. So you're going to look at the, I think it's, well, it's the question on the back of the sheet. And you'll go, what is that? Well, it will be coming. So I've emailed it to your discussion group leaders, and they'll email it to you. If you can't, if that doesn't work, you can email me or call Allie at the church office, and she can tell you how to get there on the website. Um, it's in the resources on Saturday's Wellspring. So, um, Last week, we looked at how men and women are both made in the image of God. We looked at spiritual equality and role differences. And one of probably the most important thing last week, well, I think, is to remember Romans 8.29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. We are becoming conformed to the image of Christ. And that that's just an amazing, wonderful thing. As believers, we are becoming more like Christ. And last week, as we talked about men and women and the, the roles and, and the spiritual equality and the role differences, um, I had come across something that was written back in the 1800s, so an old dead guy, called John Angle James. 
And he, in an essay on Christianity's influence on the condition of women, had this to say. There is the charter granting to women all the blessings of salvation. There is not a blessing necessary to eternal life which she does not receive in the same measure and in the same manner as the other sex. Christianity places the wife by the side of the husband, the daughter by the side of the father, the sister by the side of the brother, and the maid by the side of the mistress at the altar of the family, in the meeting of the church, at the table of the Lord, and in the congregation of the sanctuary. Male and female meet together at the cross and will meet in the realms of glory. Can anything more effectually tend to raise and sustain the condition of woman than this? God in all his ordinances, Christ in his glorious undertaking, and the Holy Spirit in his gracious work gave woman her proper place in the world by giving her a proper place in the church. Women's virtue, dignity, honor, and happiness are nowhere safe but under the protection of the word of God. The Bible is the shield of the female sex. Beneath this protection, they are secure in their rights, their dignity, and their peace. And I just felt like that was a great summary of last week. We were, we're by the side of our brothers in Christ. Um, and that was written back in the 1800s. And things for women were different back then. Um, John MacArthur said this, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God of Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel, too. He is also the God of every believer in our generation, men and women alike. We, like all of them, have our shortcomings. But we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. His faithfulness still reaches to the clouds. I love that. God is our God, too. And we we should not forget that. And... Women, as, as we know, play prominent roles in a lot of the Bible narratives. And on Friday nights, the once-a-month meetings that we do, um, we're kind of using part of the time John MacArthur's book, Twelve Extraordinary Women. And this Friday night, I'm making a plug, Lori Hantle is going to be teaching on Eve. And... MacArthur in his book talks about 12, pick 12 out of a lot of women and Eve is one and he talks about her he, he mentions her perseverance in faith and expectation speaking of Sarah he says her steadfast hope that persevered against unbelievable obstacles Rahab Seen in the example of her remarkable conversion, she reminds us of how dramatically God's grace can rebuild a sin-ravaged life. And we're going to be looking at some of these women on Friday nights. And so I could go on with that whole list, but I'm not going to. I'm going to keep going. I can commend that book to you. It's 12 Extraordinary Women by John MacArthur. Um, One of the things with the women that we see in scripture some of them are married some of them are single Um, what I want to talk about today is women doesn't matter if you're married doesn't matter if you're single 
I'm talking to women. Um, some of the key passages that we're not looking at today, but I know Wellspring does go through them, some of them. Um, I believe Suzanne already taught the lesson on Proverbs 14.1. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. Some of the other passages, if you're ever wondering, okay, what does God's word say about women? Proverbs 31. 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 15. Titus 2, 3 through 5. That's a key passage for women. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 22. And all of those talk a lot about women. Um, but I, I came across this quote from Carolyn Custis James. And she said, Whatever the Bible says to women... It should be as relevant to the single mom in an African hut or a PNG hut as to a middle-class American woman with a spouse who provides for her and her kids. So this message, I should be able to go and teach to any woman. Um, And remember, we're image bearers. We're being transformed to be like Jesus. And that's the goal. That's God's purpose for a Christian woman sitting here in Chandler or someone sitting in a hut in PNG. If she's a believer, God has her being conformed to the image of Christ. That's his goal. Now, I do want to remind us, and this is on your handout, um, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. This is, well, I have lots of favorite verses, but this is definitely one. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Praise God, it does not stop there. Verse 13 says, For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Praise God. We're to work out our salvation, but God's at work within us. And from Jerry Bridges, Transforming Grace, this is just another one of those reminders. Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. But... Your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. All of life, we need God's grace. So as I give you this list, and it's not a complete list, please don't freak out and, and go into check the box mode or I, I can't do this. Remember, it's God working within you. Um, I did want to say that this is obviously not an all-inclusive list of what a biblical woman, married or single, whatever her state, um, is to look like. It is not complete, but I wanted to... Is this familiar from my husband? I've renamed it. It's not the circles. I call it the wheels. And the wheel that you want to look at, if you looked at the blue wheel... All these things on the outside, 
being devoted to prayer, not vengeful, joyful, self-controlled, needs endurance, all those things, those are the marks of a biblical man or woman. So all of these could be on this sheet. And also, the other handy, helpful thing that you, you all have is the new creation. If you go to this and look at the strengths, those are all marks of a believer. And so you could use that to add to this. So my list was more, I don't know, it's what I came up with. Um, but it certainly is not all-inclusive. But it also is not just check the box. Okay, now I've done this, now I move on. These are all marks of a believer. Um, male, female, married, single, PNG hut, suburb of Phoenix. So the marks of the believer, the first one is, for a biblical woman, is she needs to believe the gospel. She has to be a believer. That is, that's the foundation. Romans 3, 21 through 25. That's the gospel in a nutshell. You can go there later. 1 Corinthians um, 15, 3 and 4 says, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. A biblical woman needs to know the gospel. She needs to be saved. She needs to be a believer, a Christian. That's, that is the starting point. The next thing, and I think most of where we get messed up um, when we sin is we're either not loving God or we're not loving others. Somewhere it's going to fall in there. Pretty much any sin, obviously, you're not loving God. Um, and what does Jesus say is the greatest commandment? Matthew 22, 36-39. Um, Verse 37 says, And he, and that's Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's with everything within you. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. We need to love. Romans 12.9 and 10 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. As biblical women, we need to love God and we need to love others. Another mark of a biblical woman is she will obey God's commandments. John 14.15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I love this. John 15:14 says, "You are my friends if you do what I command you." 1 John 2:3, "By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments." So, as a biblical woman, we need to be keeping God's commandments. And by the way, 
1 John 5.3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. I know sometimes it can feel that way. It can feel like, wow, that's really hard. But God will give us the grace to do what he has commanded us. A biblical woman will trust God. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. Matthew 10, 28-31 says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. A biblical woman will trust God. A biblical woman will be a woman of prayer. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So if you're struggling, wondering what in the world is God's will for my life, well, there you go. That's part of it. In everything, give thanks. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. A biblical woman will imitate Jesus. John 13, 34 and 35 says... A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I, has loved you, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We're to love as Jesus loved us. He sacrificed his life for us. Romans eight twenty nine and 30, and we've already mentioned this, but it's worth reading again. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Praise God. He's at work in our lives. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16 says, You shall be holy for I am holy. We are called to holiness. We are called to imitate Jesus. As biblical women, we are called to forgive. Um, And I know if you've talked with my husband or you've talked with me, 
when you're having a struggle with somebody, mm, I'm going to say 100% of the time, we will take you to Matthew 18, 21 to 22. And that's the passage where Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77, wait, 70 times seven. And I'll always do the math and say, well, that means, okay, at 491, you're, you don't have to forgive anymore. It's like, no, 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 no. And then we talk about, hey, remember, you know how you have that big bag of your own sin and Christ took it? And now you're going to look at your brother or sister there and say, well, I'm not going to forgive his bag of sin. You can't because of how much Jesus has forgiven us. So if you're ever struggling with forgiving somebody, put your eyeballs at Matthew 18, 21, all the way through 35 and just soak in that passage And it will help you get the right perspective. Because when you realize how much the perfect one has forgiven you, you can't look at somebody else and say, I can't forgive. Um, And there are... Well, let's keep going on. Luke 17, 3 and 4 says, Be on guard if your brother sins. It should probably say, when your brother sins. Rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. And it's important to look at verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. We need our faith increased to be able to forgive. It's not easy. I understand that. But you know what? We can ask the Lord, Incre- increase my faith. When I don't feel like forgiving, Lord, increase my faith so that I can forgive, so that I can do what you've commanded me. Ephesians 4.31 and 32, and I'm not sure that reference is on your handout, says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. And all those words come along with unforgiveness, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor. Think of that. They go right hand in hand. You know, unforgiveness doesn't stand all by itself. I'm going to just be unforgiving and be sweet and and loving. No, no, no. If I'm unforgiving, I'm going to have anger, I'm going to have clamor, and I'm going to have slander, bitterness, and wrath. They're all, they all are kind of like little friends that hook arms together. Um... They need to be put away from you along with malice. But what does God's word say? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. That is the basis for our forgiveness, is how Christ has forgiven us. The biblical woman here or in a hut will be content. Proverbs 15, 16 and 17 says, All the days of the afflicted are bad, but a cheerful heart has a continual feast. 
Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. Better is a dish of vegetables where love is than a fattened ox served with hatred. Proverbs 37 through 9 talks about give me neither poverty nor riches. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We need to learn to be content. Elizabeth Elliot says, The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. Sometimes I think our contentment, we think, well, if only, and then you fill in the blank, I'd be happy then. I don't think so. The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. I believe if I'm not content in the circumstances I'm in, move me over here, I'm going to carry my discontentment there. I need to learn whatever circumstance I'm in to be content. Doesn't necessarily mean our circumstances are easy. There there are a lot of difficulties, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of suffering. But we still are called to be content and give thanks in all things. The biblical woman is to do good. Galatians 6, 9, and 10 says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. We're to do good. Titus 3.14 says, Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Ladies, we're to use our gifts. Whatever your gift is, we're to use it. If your gift is teaching, you're supposed to teach. If your gift is serving, you're to serve. Whatever your Whatever your gift is, you need to be faithful in that. First um, Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength of which God Supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's what that's what's in First Peter. So be faithful. Use your gift, whatever it is. On the same in the same vein, we're to serve others. Galatians five thirteen through fifteen says. 
For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And remember we talked about that. Love God, love your neighbor. She's to speak graciously. And I know the book of Proverbs talks a lot about women's speech. Better to live on a roof than with a dripping faucet. My sweet husband has a couple of times, believe it or not, had to tell me, I think you're dripping. (laughs) It's like, okay, you want me to go fix you a mattress up on the roof? Um, If you're struggling with speech, um, Proverbs is, do a study in Proverbs on that. Um, Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 13, 3, The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Ephesians 4.29 Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. That's The speaking graciously, that one's hard for me. I have to put a guard over my mouth often. Um, I get myself in trouble with my tongue. And the last one, and again, this is not like, okay, I made it all the way through. Now I'm a biblical woman. I look like a biblical woman. There's over a thousand commands for us in the New Testament. It's not the Old Testament, just ten. There's over a thousand. Um, So obviously we have not covered all of them. The last one is the S word that I think sometimes we as women struggle with. Um... Hebrews 13.17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Okay, that submission verse is not just for women. It's for men. This is speaking of us as the body submitting to the elders of the church. Men are called to submit too. So when we think that we're the only ones, oh, poor me, I have to submit to that husband. We all are in roles of submission. And guess what? The elders, they're in submission to the Lord. It's not easy. And this verse, and I see this is is where I get in trouble because this isn't on my piece of paper. But I'm going to say it anyways. We want to make it easy for our elders. We want them to be able to elder. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. I don't want to cause the elders grief by my sin. By my lack of submission. So we're all called to submit. That is, that is for men too. James 4, 7 says, 
Submit therefore to God. We're to submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 Peter 2.13 Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority. Could that mean we're supposed to somehow submit to the president? Yeah. Yeah. We need to be careful. You know, I... We need to be careful that we may not agree with our president or Congress or Senate, but we need to remember they are in a position of authority and we are called to submit. And submission is always, we, if they're asking us to sin, no, we don't submit. But some stuff, do we need to act respectfully? Yes. Um, verse 15 of that passage says for such is the will of God Ooh, there's that will of God again that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men and then the submission that sometimes as married women we may wrestle with um 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7 says in the same way and if you go back to chapter 2 our example that we're following in submission is Christ. That's the example we follow. It says you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior your adornment must not be merely external braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God we're called to submit and we're called to respect and so we need to do that I do want to briefly address singleness um, because sometimes that can be a difficult place for a woman. Um, And Carolyn McCulley has written quite extensively on singleness, and I think. Um, if you are single and struggling she is a good resource or if you've got a friend that's in that place and is struggling um, Carolyn McCauley says and she's speaking of singleness it's not a gift that we have to spend time trying to identify and even worrying that we may have it forever if we're single today we have the gracious gift of singleness today not necessarily forever but we do have it today. How we may feel about it, like, do I like being single? Do I desire marriage instead? Is not part of the equation. The emphasis here is on a gracious God who gives good gifts and ultimately on his purpose for giving them. This gift is not an activity or a role, but a blessing like the free gift of eternal life. 
that was given to us without any merit of our own. Remember, singleness and marriage are God's grace gifts. His means for us to display his image in unity and self-giving love with his body. There are some privileges to being single, being um, concerned about things of the Lord, undistracted devotion to the Lord, opportunities and availability that a married woman may not have. It's not wrong to desire marriage, but sometimes God's plan is different than what we want. As Scott Maxwell would say, God's plan A. Sometimes it's not my plan A. Um, We need to guard against our desire, and that was the wheel lesson, even a good desire becoming an idol. It's easy for that to happen. And Carolyn McCauley also, and she's talking about hope deferred. And this kind of goes back to the contentment. Um, And she's talking about hope deferred of being married. But it could apply to childness, child not having children. Sorry. Financial struggles, a wayward child, a prolonged illness. And she says... The most telling difference between self-pity and grief is our attitude toward God and the loss. It's a very real loss to have dreams deferred or die. Marriage seems so commonplace that to remain single when you desire otherwise truly can be a form of suffering. With those who grieve for a tangible loss, like the death of a loved one, they seem to work through it within a defined season. There's a circular aspect to mourning extended singleness. Though we may be doing well from one holiday to the next, the cumulative effect of facing yet another Valentine's Day, Thanksgiving, or Christmas alone can trigger grief once again. Yet the Lord would want to interrupt that pattern of mourning with the joy that overflows to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. How is that possible? Let's consider again the difference between grief and self-pity. And think about this. Whatever that thing that you think you want, okay? Self-pity turns our gaze inward, focusing only on ourselves. It says, I am worthy of so much more. Why has this been withheld? It's a response of pride. Therefore, it is accompanied by an inconsolable, demanding spirit that fuels the emotion. Self-pity leads us to assume the worst. And here's the worst. Lord, don't you care? If we find ourselves asking that question, we should be concerned and we should check up on ourselves to see whether or not we've let self-pity take root. True Christian grief says, and this is like Jeremiah, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. He doesn't ignore the painful circumstances. He says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. 
Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. Macaulay goes on to say that we care well for one another when we listen compassionately to the struggles. We ask wise questions to expose what we really believe about God and ourselves and then remind one another of what is true because of the cross and the reality of what lies ahead for every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. The bottom line is this. If the wonderful, glorious promises of heaven and all that has been secured for us in the manifold mercy found at the cross don't penetrate the fog of our grief, we can be sure self-pity has hardened our hearts. And she concludes by saying, there's a vast difference between being told to get over it and that sounds probably like something I would say, and being equipped with the truth that helps us vanquish both self-pity and grief. And that was speaking to singleness. But I think there, there's something so powerful in that, no matter what that, whatever that is, that's a hope deferred, um, that, that God is there with us. Um, and so that hopefully will help us to come along each, alongside each other. And I love this quote, speaking of marriage and singleness. Um, and this was written by a single gal after hearing some teaching by her pastor on singleness. She said that marriage is brilliant and messy and God-ordained for some to be the way God shows the gospel in a human picture, him giving himself for his bride, the church, and that singleness is brilliant and messy and God-ordained for some to be able to share the gospel without having the demands of a family. Both of them are valid. Both of them are needed. Either way, Jesus is all I need. So, ladies, remember, married or single, whatever whatever place God has you, as a biblical woman, what are we called to be? We're called to be more like Christ. But remember, it's God working within us to make that happen. So praise God for that. Jesus is all we need. We can take all of our sin and all of our guilt and all of our ick and take it to the cross and know as believers it's been paid for it's done it is finished and now we can move forward and God will conform us to the image of his son so please pray with me Father thank you that you have sent your son to die for sinners Lord thank you that you have sent your spirit to live within us You are a good and faithful God. Lord, I pray that you will just continue to work in us to make us more like your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.